Based on the critically acclaimed mystery novel by one of the genre's most iconic names, Murder on the Orient Express, originally published as Murder on the Calais Coach in 1933, has been turned into four television adaptations, three radio plays, two feature films, a stage play, and even a board game. Needless to say, Agatha Christie's story has captured the adoration of mystery lovers everywhere, spanning nearly five generations. Today, we're taking a smaller step back in time by discussing the 2017 adaptation, Murder on the Orient Express. This film hit theaters with a star-studded cast grossing over $350 million worldwide on a $55 million budget, and with its sequel, Death on the Nile, coming out this month, this train keeps on chugging along. So, like Hercule Poirot, it's time to crack into the mystery of Murder on the Orient Express 2017 and learn what it's about. I'm your host, Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of what it's all about through the media that we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it all reflects in our own lives. That's right. We've pivoted what this show is about. <laughs> we're still going to be deep. <laughs> we're still going to be diving deep into the heart of the movies we discuss, teasing out and interpreting what we think the themes are and how we arrive to them. But then we're going to turn and reflect it back on ourselves and relate to how we're feeling in our own lives and how we see ourselves and get the messages and kind of see how it, it reflects what's going on with us. Uh, y'all are going to get to know us pretty pretty well through this podcast. So. Fun for us. <laughs> What's it all about? What's it, What's it all, all about? about? Yes, exactly, Seth. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm all right. You know, a little, a little melancholy. Woke oh, no. up this morning. Yeah, I went out and I, uh, I tried to do some comedy last night. And, you know, I went up last. And then I didn't make it to the other mic because I went last. And, you know... I just, it's just, I, I'm trying to get momentum and I feel like I can't get momentum. Mm-hmm. And it, so when's the last time you, you when's the last time you did a set? About two months ago. Okay. So not that ago. long ago, but still two months out of the game is a lot, you know, when you're not flexing those yeah. muscles. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I just have never been able to get into like, I've only been able to get into like a real consistent routine with it, like once or twice in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so other than that, it's like I go up every every couple months, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, I'm, I'm just, I wish I could get to the point where I was going up consistently and getting better. Yeah, you know? exactly. Of course. I mean, you gotta do your reps, right? Yeah. And that's just, I can't find a way to do the reps. No, I'm sorry, know? man. But you know what? The end of the night, that's the worst time slot. Cause everybody's tired. Most people will just want to go home and get out of there. You know, they've already sat through a bunch of like other comics. If they've well, been there the whole night or there's nobody well, there. Uh, what what it is is you're you're the low man on the totem pole. Yeah. Like no, they don't know. It was a new mic. I'd never been there, and they mm-hmm. were like, and the way that these old school comics run things, or the old school mic way of running things, is mm-hmm. if we don't know you, you go last. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like I'm just tired of being on the bottom of the totem pole, man. I'm just I'm just like I know that's what I'm happens when you move to a new city. You know what I mean? You're, you you yeah. had built up here, and now you're in a new city where they don't know you. That's rough. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm still man. not. I'm still not funny. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're funny. I know. But you got to get to know me first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You yeah. do. You guys got. You guys got to get to know him. And luckily, now that we have this new direction for the show, people are going to get to know you very well. So everybody's going to think you're funny. I we'll see. You're funny. We'll see. I'm funny. You're funny. <laughs> okay. We're both taking a sip of some coffee and pee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Seth. Let's. Uh, so how- 
Yeah, let's dive into this thing. How, yeah. how do we want to do this? Well, first, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, um, the background of this film, kind of uh, who wrote it, who directed it, just to give a little bit of context for everybody, um, for anybody who's not familiar with what this story is. If you've never seen it or if you never watched it or just you know aren't as big of a film history buff as, as I am. Um, so this film is Murder on the Express. Uh, it is a uh, originally a mystery novel written by Agatha Christie, uh, you know, one of the biggest names in the mystery genre. Some would say the greatest mystery fiction writer of all time. Um, uh, originally, uh, this story was uh, published in a, like a, a magazine series, uh, and it was called Murder on the Calais Coach in 1933. Um, so almost – a hundred year old story at this point. Um, and, uh, it follows, uh, the main character who is Hercule Poirot, which who's the world's greatest detective. Um, and she actually has a whole series of books that, uh, Hercule Poirot appears in. Um, so he's a recurring character in a lot of her stories. Um, but like I was saying earlier, this one story, murder on the express as amongst a lot of her other stories has seemed to be the one that's gotten so much, uh, uh, attention. Uh, it has been adapted several times. Uh, it's obviously been remade he- here recently, and now it has a sequel coming out th- uh, this month in February. So uh, it's definitely one of her more popular stories. Um, this particular adaptation was directed by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, who you guys also plays Hercule Poirot in this, Kenneth Branagh uh, has been an actor and a director for a very long time. He's directed some other things, uh, kind of a, a, an interesting little directing resume here. He's also directed Artemis Fowl, Cinderella, Ro- uh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, Thor, Hamlet, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and Henry V. Now that's not his whole filmography, but that's just a few that I pulled out. What a strange array of films to go from he drew- Hen- Henry V to Artemis Fowl. He directed the first Thor. Yes, he did. Wow, I didn't know that. He's, well, he's pretty in with Disney. I mean, three of those films on there are Disney films. You know, Thor, Cinderella, Artemis Fowl. So yeah. he's 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 in with Disney for sure. Uh, they're yeah. they're on good terms, I would say. Um, but yeah, what a strange like very. And he's obviously done like he's done Broadway. He's done theater. He has his own theater company. So he's very into uh, the arts. He's an artistic guy. So it's very interesting that the kind of a, array of what he puts his name behind, you know? Uh, and then this, the script for this film uh, was written by a writer uh, whose name is Michael Green. Michael Green has written things like Jungle Cruise, The Call of the Wild, Alien Covenant, Blade Runner 2049, Logan, and Green Lantern. Uh, okay. So again, not all his whole filmography, but just a few selected ones I thought were interesting, um, which is, again, interesting. He seems like he really writes – for a very wide audience, you know, Green Green Lantern, Jungle Cruise, uh, Call of the Wild. These are all movies that are meant to hit a, a very broad audience base. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't know, the juxtaposition between Blade Runner 2049 and Green Lantern are pretty... Really? Yeah. Pretty, like, obtuse. Really weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that strikes me as a strange dude. And then also this one, too. Even though Murder on the Orient Express is a little bit more niche than a lot of those other movies. Like a, a murder mystery on a train it is a little bit more niche than green lantern and jungle cruise. But, uh, but the way this movie was marketed was to a very broad audience. 
Um, yeah. Especially with you know the star studded cast as it is, you know you got Michelle Pfeiffer, you got Leslie Odom Jr., you got Penelope Cruz, you got Daisy Ridley, you got Josh Gad, you got Willem Dafoe, uh, Judy Dench. I mean, cr- crazy cast. Yeah, it's an old people movie for old people. <laughs> I'd say the only person that would really appeal to like maybe a younger a younger audience would be like Daisy oh. Ridley. Yeah, um, and maybe Leslie Odom Jr. But at that this time. He wasn't super popular. He, Leslie Odom Jr., for those of you guys who don't know, was the originator of the role of uh, Aaron Burr for Hamilton. Okay. Um, so obviously, you know, his name has become bigger since then, and obviously Hamilton skewed to a younger audience. Um, so, But he yeah. wasn't a huge name by, at the point that this movie was coming out. He was just starting the, to get on the rise here. The create, like, you have to, the Illuminati makes Hollywood make murder on the orient express every 20 years and it's just like a rich it's like a, it's like a ritual they have to do and they bring in the celebrities that are part of it and then you're it's like part of your induction to the illuminati no, yeah it's, you, it's, it's funny because <laughs> the last time this movie was made you, you make a funny joke because <laughs> uh, last time this movie was made uh murder on the orient express was 1974 um and it had a pretty star-studded cast back then too like uh, God, I just watched it the other day. I wish I could remember, but like one of the big ones I remember was Sean Connery was in it. Yeah, yeah. There's something about it. I don't yeah. know. It's uh, uh, Aubrey Finney. You know, like like big names of Hollywood in the '70s were in. There's like the original. Ba- there's like baby's blood in craft services on the Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, but yeah. So this film has a very rich history. Uh, in Hollywood, but also like a very rich history just in, in pop culture. It's been around for a long, 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 long time. Um, and something that I thought was interesting in my research here is that uh, Kenneth Branagh said that he played this character differently than he's ever been portrayed before. Uh, in that in, in past incarnations, uh, Hercule Poirot has always kind of been like a, a dandy, right? He's always kind of been like a, a cad, kind of like a foppish type of character yeah. um, where Kenneth Branagh t- took a much different approach to the character in this incarnation, which we'll get into in a little bit as it's kind of, it kind of goes along with my theme. Um, but uh, that, that all being said and that all being laid out, I think it's time for us to get into what it's all about. But before we do that, just, we just want to remind everybody exactly what we're doing here real quick. Uh, we are trying to get at what the theme of this movie is, what it's, truly about at its core not its plot the plot is a sequence of events that are laid out to help convey a theme or a message so we're trying to actually see if we can interpret what that is and then after we do that after we present what our interpretations are we'll kind of take a more uh self-reflective look a little more introspection yeah a little more introspection of how that relates to us um and before we get into what it's all about i'm just going to pull up the IMDb uh, summary, just so we can get what the plot is, or at least what the setup of the plot is. Okay, so I found the IMDb uh, summary. So this is the IMDb summary. When a murder occurs on the train on which he's traveling, celebrated detective Hercule Poirot is recruited to solve the case. Very simple. Very simple setup. Thank you, IMDb. Okay, Seth, here's the question, man. What's it about? What is it about? What is it about? Well, 
I was both um, more impressed and my expectations were met with this movie in terms of, okay, I knew what I knew exactly what to expect mm. going into it. Uh, I've seen the old one. Um, the new one is the same, but mm-hmm. new. Um, but uh, I never really, you know, it's been a long time since I'd seen it and I never put like an analytic lens to what the story was trying to say. So mm-hmm. I actually felt like I gleaned a lot from its uh, themes. Mm-hmm. Um, the themes are pretty like pretty uh, classic. Um, just like the movie, the themes are really uh, uh, broad. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about right and wrong. You know, they're about uh, idealism uh, and versus it, it's the, the beginning of the film. It's it's uh, um, black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about idealism, what how things should be. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the film, uh, we're uh, introduced to grace and that uh, it's right and wrong isn't as uh, black and white, uh, as, as it makes like, as life would, uh, hopefully demand it to be. Um, and I think, so like, I mean, it's a very Christian concept. The, uh, mm-hmm. the, this movie is definitely putting forth Christian values. If I have to say so myself, um, the, I mean, there's like tableaus in the movie that are like straight yeah. up calling out that it's Christian values. Mm-hmm. You know? um, uh, particularly uh, the, uh, the scene at the end of the film where all of them are in this tunnel and they're at this big long table. Yeah. Uh, every, character, Eric, every character lined up kind of like the, uh, the last supper, the last supper. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's, I mean, to me, that's the, that's the main theme of this mm-hmm. film is that, uh, Maybe it's not up to man's law always to decide what what is right and what is wrong. Um, I wrote down specifically, where did it go? Sometimes the laws of man are not enough. Uh, so yeah, um, that's that's what I gleaned from it. Awesome. Um, I I mean, I definitely agree with a lot with that. I, there is this. I mean, I, I wrote down one of the lines, like you said, right in the beginning, where Her- Hercule is is very idealistic in that his beliefs are very rigid. Uh, he he even says that right in the beginning of the movie, he says there is right and there is wrong and there is no in-between, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what he said. That's how his character views the world in the beginning. Uh, people who do bad things are bad. People who do good things are good. There is Once you do bad, you are bad. Like it's it, there is no in between, and he he can't see things in any other way. Le oofs must be perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These yes. are two perfectly good oofs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, and even even the first scene. I mean, I mean, looking back now, uh, gleaning that where the location of the very first scene, Jerusalem. At the Wailing Wall, the Wailing Wall of yeah. Jerusalem. You know, and he, I mean it's hard to kind of convey the possible weight of his decision at that wailing wall. Mm. I think, um, I mean, he really is saving the world 
this guy, this detective, mm-hmm. because that like that's how important he is. Because I mean, if you think about where they're at, they're brushing up against three different religions, religions. in the most controversial place on earth, essentially. So like his choice of who is guilty in this scenario could cause world war. Mm-hmm. Like it could cause a, coll- a societal collapse if he. And it could cause a whole other cru- crusade. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I really liked that scene as to him finding, you know, figuring out that it wasn't anybody. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was. I, I thought it was a really cool uh, way to introduce the character and the stakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stakes of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. The, the only, the only thing that I did not like, honestly, and maybe it's like done better in other film, other versions of the film is the introduction to the case mm-hmm. uh, of the little girl that was murdered. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't, I just thought it was out of nowhere that, mm-hmm. that suddenly he just remembered this case, mm-hmm. you know? And I wish that that had been needed in better because it was just like, it felt like a plot device. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. In the, in the original film, they opened the movie with this case. They, they yeah. show you the, like the like news clippings of it. Um, so like right away, it's on the forefront of your mind, this, this Armstrong tragedy. Yeah. That would make way more sense. Uh, it, like that would, that would make it flow a lot better for me because I just felt like, where, where is this case coming from? Why do I care about this case? He just pulled it from his memory to further the point. You know? Maybe structurally, if we're going to get into a little bit of structure here before I kind of uh, touch on what I what I was kind of getting uh, and what really struck me the most in this film as far as thematically, maybe if we would have gotten the Judy Dench connection, Armstrong connection before he, he brought up the name Armstrong, yeah. Like if that name Armstrong would have been dropped before like the discovery of like the burnt, the burnt uh, letter, uh, because it's like uh, they mentioned something about her being like related to the Armstrongs or something like that. Like yeah. right away, first time he talks to her, he's like, I know who you are. You're this person. You're, you're connected here. Like if he had mentioned something before that of like, Oh, I know you, you, you know, you were this person and you know, I'm so sorry. I wasn't able to like get, you know, help in time. You know, yeah, I yeah. wasn't able to reach you in time, but for, to help, and then yeah. and then uh, it would have been stronger for us when he finds that letter and writes on the name Armstrong. Then we're like, then immediately we're with him in the idea of like, oh, this oh, lady's, yeah, this lady might be connected to that. Yeah, I just I just felt like it was very just dropped in. It was, and, you know, mm-hmm. which to me, like, if the case hinges on it, we need. We need to be at least in in on that part. Maybe you know? I think maybe on the part of the filmmaker's part, it might have been a little bit of just trusting that people know the story. Like people, yeah. they, people are familiar with how more, what murder on the Orient Express is, and that it's based around like how one wrong has this like rippling effect out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, well, even the interesting like I, Sarah and I were watching this together, and and uh, we both like had seen the old one, but didn't know that the other one had seen the old one. Mm. So, so we were like, do you know what happens at the end? Do you know what happens at the end? Oh, I know what happens at the end. And so it was like this back and forth. Uh, but I thought it was interesting how like, even the way it sh- was shot mm. reflects kind of this idealistic 
uh, idealistic tone. Like mm-hmm. everything was like very clean and pristine. Yes. And, and even the act, the choice of actors are elite and like attention to detail is very, very important. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, it's still a bad movie. So I think it just gets, uh, it gets, it gets its message across. I don't think it's bad. I, I liked Maybe it. I liked it more the first time I saw it. It's, it's rewatchability is very low. You, you, because once you know, it, once you know the ending, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, yeah, of course it, spoiler alerts everybody. Uh, yeah. This is a murder movie and we're going to talk about who the murderers are uh, inevitably. Yeah. Um, so well, I'm giving you a spoiler alert right now because I'm about to say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So everybody, you get two seconds to walk away right now. One, two. Okay. So it, it's immediately obvious that it's all of them yeah. right from the beginning. Like, I said, yeah. like, like all, like there's 12, you know, there's 12 stab wounds. They're all different. They're all like different. Like yeah. they all have different patterns. Like <laughs> they're, they're, each clue leads to a different person. It can, it, yeah. it's like, there's no way this could have been one person. Like, yeah. like, okay. So it's all of them. And they're yeah. all, and once you find out they're all connected to, to Armstrong in some way, you're like, duh. You yeah. know, yeah, of course, yeah, and so it's like once you know that it's it is not as fun of a movie, you know. So, uh, which is a little bit of a bummer. I got to be honest, because like the first time I saw it, I, I, I wasn't familiar with the story as much. I'd heard the name Murder on the Expense, but I'd never watched the original film, so I didn't I know. Was, I, I was hoping for a curveball. I was hoping that like they would come up with some new way to. I see. I think you kind of touched on the fact that it's a classic. You know, the, yeah. You can't alter this, this the plot of this story much much because people because yeah. people that love this story will get very upset. It will be alienating to people who don't know, like you know who know the story. I wanted uh, I wanted the guy to shoot him at the end. Oh, you wanted you wanted Michelle Pfeiffer to shoot him. No, uh, his buddy. Oh. So, so what, the, what I wanted to happen was when Michelle Pfeiffer goes to pull out the gun, pull the gun, she would fire like she was going to kill mm-hmm. Hercule, and then it would have been his friend who did it. Oh. Because then it's like he says at the beginning of the movie, be like uh, a Judas character. Kinda, sort of, but like, I, I guess, yeah, I guess it would be like a Judas character, but like, it's, it's also kind of fitting with the themes. Like, mm-hmm. he's a bad person. Mm-hmm. He says it at the beginning of the movie that his buddy is like a horrible, a horrible person. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm, a, I'm a horrible person, but he's also like, he knows that all these like he knows that all these people need like should be let off mm-hmm. so like it would be interesting for like the guy that's known as the bad person to make the choice to save all these people i don't know i think it would have been that is interesting uh but to go along with my theme i think there would be something that would throw off as far as my interpretation if, if that were to happen okay what's your uh, what's it about ricky so we both kind of came to a similar place in the beginning uh, where it's this idea of idealism, things in balance, right? Yeah. Things things have to be balanced is the way that Hercule views the world. Things need to be balanced. 
so for for me, I was getting this idea of balance versus imbalance, uh, and and honestly, in in the scales of justice, in a way, when is this? When are the scales of justice balanced, right? And that's Hercule has this great line in the beginning that I, I made note of because I thought it was really really good. Um, and then I'll say kind of what my overall like actual like thematic is. Hercule says. I have the advantage. I can only see the world as it should be. And when it is not, the imperfections stand out like the nose in the middle of a face. It makes most of life unbearable, but it is useful in the detection of crime. Yeah. So for me, this idea of balance and imbalance really kind of boils down to, especially as I'm seeing it through Hercule's perspective, someone seeking complete balance in life will only find misery and as complete balance is impossible. Sometimes you need to be okay with imbalance. And that's kind of well, where... Like, well, go ahead. That's kind of where I landed. So like Her- Hercule is... is so, throughout the film, he's like, murder is bad. Mur- like as someone who murders is a beast. He uses that word beast a few times. Like you're a beast, you're a monster, you're, you're you know, that's bad. You're bad. And as the film goes on, he learns that it's not so black and white. There's so much gray in the world. And he, he as somebody who's so, so specific and so peculiar, you know, in his idiosyncrasies, you know, in his idiosyncrasies, um, he's obsessive compulsive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He has, the, I, they don't say that outright, but he has, yeah, he has a lot of idiosyncrasies and obviously we're not therapists, so we can't really diagnose OCD, but he's, obsessive in a lot of ways um yeah and he has he struggles to not seek balance you know not seek perfection and it's really hard to walk away i think you got to distinguish the difference like i i don't know if i totally agree Mm -hmm. about perfection being balance that's true he, I, I'd say he doesn't necessarily look for perfection because he d- is okay with things not being like perfect all the time. Like he he gets through it, but you know he does seek for things to be balanced. So like his eggs like are imbalanced; they're not the right, they're not the same size. Um, he steps in the poop uh, in that Jerusalem scene, and he even says it's not it's not the fact that I stepped in poop; it's the imbalance. Yeah. He's like yeah. they need to be the same. You know, yes. so he he is he, he to his own detriment. He will balance things. Yes, um, and he even says it makes life unbearable for me because I can only see imbalance, and I, which makes it me a really good detective. But I will ne- I will never be happy because I can't yes. not see it. Yes, I, uh, I think it's also interesting that he's running from his purpose mm-hmm. right like i want a vacation i need a holiday i just want to read my dickens yeah which is interesting because dickens wrote great expectations right mm-hmm. so like i i i thought that was interesting because uh, great expectations is one of my favorite books and, and the theme of that book is that great expectations will only lead to disappointment mm-hmm. so I, I thought that was interesting that he's reading that Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's 
I was really struck with the fact that, especially because again, I see I experience movies a lot most of the time through characters. Like I'm really connecting with the people, um, and so for me, it's it was a little bit heartbreaking the fact that it's like, oh wow, this guy is going to be s- sad for forever. Like he just can't find happiness because he can only see where there's imbalance. And as much as he tries to fix it, he learns it, sometimes it can't be fixed. Yeah. Bal- like this, this, the balance of – or the, the imbalance that Cratchit caused by kidnapping and killing this child, this Armstrong child, caused a ripple effect that created an imbalance that even by killing him does not fix it. You know, it just creates more imbalance. Or mm-hmm. does does justice? I think I think you can extrapolate from that though. Mm-hmm. Like justice, the scales will become balanced, but it may not be man's doing that balances. Maybe. The I don't think he walks away. I mean, he asks her to kill him, basically. I mean, just to like see what kind of person she is. But like, I don't think he's walks away from that. Like he says that line of like, "Man's law sometimes man's law isn't enough." I don't think he walks away from that feeling good. Like, I think he's dissatisfied with how that turns out. Well, but here's what's wild. Okay, I thought about this at the end of the movie. So, like, if you take like a, a like you're looking at from. Uh, Hercule's perspective, mm-hmm. right? But if you step out out of step outside of Hercule and look at the big picture of what's mm-hmm. happening to these people, they are creating a perfect alibi by having mm-hmm. the most famous detective in all the world give them one. I don't think they originally thought he was going to be on the train. I think that was an accident. That, but that's that's my point. That's my point is that there is larger forces in play here than just. Like, like it was meant to be right. Like it was meant to be that Hercule Perot was on this, on this train to witness this murder, to give them an alibi. Also for the, for the, uh, the, uh, avalanche to happen to slow them down. So we had time to, I mean, it was, it was almost as if God planned justice for this little girl because the only way they're going to get away with this is if someone says that no one did it. And the only, the best person in the world to say that is the most famous detective in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought, I thought that to me, that was the scales getting balanced, but that proves that it was something outside of man that's able to balance it. Right. But I guess it comes down to like your moralistic views, right? Is, yeah. is murder for the right cause. Cause like it's not like it was self defense. They straight up right. conspired to murder this dude. Yeah, is that morally correct? And especially in the eyes of God, right? Because like, if you want to talk about God getting justice, like I mean, if you want to take a very Christian view of this, yeah, one of the one of the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not kill." And there is no gray area there. I I agree with you. I'm just saying that. Um... I'm saying that whether or not God did it or, or whatever, what is something outside of the situation did it like sometimes, sometimes things are out of your control. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like you can't make something right sometimes. Right. And sometimes, sometimes you can't see what's right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the hope is, is that it will come out right in the end. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I, I totally agree with that. For me, reading into that last line that we're kind of, we're honestly, we're both kind of hanging a little bit of our, our interpretations on this idea of, uh, Sometimes man's law isn't enough, right? Yeah. You yeah. you kind of taking that as God's law is enough, or you know a higher power's law is will balance the scales. For me, because I don't think he's satisfied with kind of where things end here. Like he walks away, but I don't think I think it it hollows him out a little bit. You know what I mean? To the point where he wants a vacation, but then someone comes up to him and is like, "Hey, we have a new case," and he immediately decides to take it because he needs to go find something to fix again because he's well, feeling hollow. I don't think we're in disagreements totally. Like I, I, I think that it's very interesting that that's what happens. What, what, what it is, is Perot does not want his cross to bear, mm-hmm. right? Like, like this is Perot's gift and he, it will constantly be pursuing him. He, mm-hmm he can't escape his gift, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's even funny that the next the next case is denial, mm-hmm. right? Like he's going into denial. Like, mm-hmm. so it, it, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think I get what you're saying, but I think that's part of it, right? Like mm-hmm. that's part of, that's, that's his journey. Mm-hmm. That's well, Perot's Right. Well, I think. Well, I think also what he's saying with that line is not just like a higher power will balance scales, but also, I will he's, he. Well, he was say, he's saying is will yeah will he's throwing up the question will it, but yeah. also he's saying I'm not a higher power. I can't judge. Like I shouldn't yeah. be judging as I have in the past. I've been I judged. Yeah. I should not judge this. I should not judge these people. And then he's kind of laying it out there. God will judge these people. And he'll, the God will decide if what they did was black or white. Yeah. You know, he's kind of, so honestly, it's, it's not as optimistic as I think maybe it kind of can come across as where it's like, oh, he's letting them go. It's like, I don't know if he is. I think he, what he's saying is I'm putting this in God's hands or, you know, a higher power's hands and they'll decide whether or not those, those are damned souls or not. I. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't, uh, we're not in disagreement. Right. Like, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying like, it's, it's literally like, okay, now we're going to get into a little bit of theology. We, is yeah. this theology time with Seth? So like, I love theology time with Seth. <laughs> so we're, so like we're crossing over. So like, this is a great, I think a great film for uh, this pivot on our pod- mm-hmm. podcast. Right. Um, because like this, this theme is like, one of the most argued philosophies about right and wrong mm-hmm. is, you know? Um, so like I literally, so we're not saying the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we are, so we are saying the same thing basically. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, is you have to hold both thoughts in your mind because that's, that is what is, that is the potential mm-hmm. for what is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you can't know there's a God or not, Right. You can't, mm-hmm. there's no way to prove it other than your own perception or your own feelings. beliefs, yeah. your own beliefs. So like you have to, at the same time, hold the fact that there, there is something 
if you're gonna if you're gonna make this uh, talk about this film this way, mm-hmm. you have to say, okay, either God, there's a God, or there's not. Mm-hmm. And I think her, like I think Perot is there, mm-hmm. right? He's like, I can't, I have no way, like, I have no way of solving this. I have to leave it into God's hands, or, mm-hmm. or, I'm. I just betrayed my own moral code. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like those two thoughts are kind of bumping up against each other. Yeah. Right. And so like, I think that's actually the way it is. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like in, in, in my life, the way I see it is that both of those things are always happening at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and you can torture yourself in with doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think, and denial. So like, mm-hmm. I think like, again, it just kind of, it's interesting. He's go headed to denial. He's headed to denial. So like, mm-hmm. I think Perot gets to the place of, of leaving it to a higher power, but he's like tortured by it. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, he no, doesn't. Exactly. That, yeah. that for him, that's this two competing imbalances. Is he, yeah. he himself is in a contradiction. Right. The whole situation he, is a contradiction. He's looking for balance because he himself is imbalanced in his beliefs, you know? And grace itself is a contradiction. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make any sense. Grace as a concept for, for human beings is like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, like, wait, I just, you're going to, you're going to like give me a pass, even though I don't deserve a pass. Like I didn't earn the pass. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, like I get a pass and this person doesn't get a pass, you know, like, yeah. so, so it's a very confusing, it's a very contradictory concept, mm-hmm. but that, I think that's what makes it real. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like what makes being human, what makes this like experience, this existence real is that struggle mm-hmm. is that push up against, against, against something outside of yourself and your own perception. I mean, that's literally what you're experiencing, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you're, ex- you're experiencing whatever's happening out here and mm-hmm. then all your, all that's going on in here, mm-hmm. you just have to take it on hope that there's anything at all even happening out here. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So that, I don't know if that's a poor example of what I mean, but that's like the most basic, like basic example of what I can think of is like mm-hmm. perception, right? you know? So yeah. I feel like I'm spiraling. No, no, you're right though. This is a very I think of all the films that we've covered so far, this is the most and, and you kind of hit it on the head, traditional theme. It's like yeah. go, it goes all the way back to almost like the a biblical a biblical yeah. sense in that it's it's good and good and evil. What is good and evil? Where is the balance of good and evil? It's, it's, and there, actually there's a moment in the movie that I just remembered when Judy Dench is character when Judy Dench's character is walking onto the train, she has her two dogs. They're like identical looking dogs, except one is black and one is white. Yeah. There's a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. There's a lot of like And so it's like it's like equal but different. But also yeah. it reminds me of like yin and yang, right? Yeah. Like yeah. this mixture of there's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad in everything, right? Well, even even uh uh, they do a really good job, I think, with Johnny Depp's character. You know, like, mm-hmm. like 
making him human, even mm-hmm. though he did this horrible atrocity, right? Like, like even on the train, like we see that he is a person, like he's mm-hmm. not a great person, mm-hmm. but I mean, even the casting choice of Johnny Depp, the guy is so, we love Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, especially at that time, mm-hmm. you know? So like, I don't know, like, I just think, I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's, it's riddled throughout this, this concept, this, mm-hmm. uh, balance, this balance. Also there, there's something really interesting in that. Um, but to go along with you is like this idea of like two, two, two selves. Like uh, there's that scene where we just find out that Johnny Depp has been murdered, uh, and he's walking through the train and we get to see everybody through a reflection and it's refracted through like the window panes and you see two reflect, you know, you see two reflections of each character, which is like this idea of like a dual, the duality of man. Right. Yeah. Like, well, there's good and there is bad. I I think, I think, okay. So to like really dive into the difference in our themes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you keep hitting this balance thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's my interpretation. That's what the show is about, Seth. Well, but it's, what's it about Ricky? Like (laughs) it's what it's all about. We're going to get there. (laughs) Well, well, we're, well, I think we're, I think we're arguing. I think this is an argument. Are we arguing? I think this is an argument. (laughs) I think this is an argument because, um, I think, I think, so talking, so this is like, basically your, your argument is the side of like Buddhism, right? Mm -hmm. Like this yin and yang concept, this, Mm -hmm. um, that, that it, it is all, uh, it all must come into balance. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and I think, I think the only problem with that is then there's nothing really like, like there's, it, if there is, there cannot be a right and wrong mm-hmm. if everything must come into balance mm-hmm. because you do one, one thing, right. Another thing wrong is occurring. So nothing is ever actually fully righteous. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm, then that's exactly what I felt. I felt the theme was, is that someone who seeks to balance, seeks to separate right and wrong is going to struggle. Yeah. And because I think, I, it's impo- it's an impossible task. Yes. I mean, I mean the the reflect the, the thing that makes me really like drive that home is like when you see the reflection mm-hmm. the reflections like the truth is is you see yourself one way. Mm-hmm. But that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Because there is the duality of who you are that you may not have access to. Mhm. Right? So like you only see a, yourself when you look in a mirror. Yes. You can never actually see who you really are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I think that drives home what, what we're talking about here with, with you're never, you're never a good person. You're just mm-hmm. a person. And mm-hmm. like, I think that, I think you're right. Like that is how the way, the way the world works. Like there is this duality, this nature but if that's the case, there can never be perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and think that's I think that's what that's what the film like the film expresses is that Hercule is trying to find balance and perfection, and he's miserable because of it because he can only see that it's, it can never be. But, but I he, think, but he can't I, stop pursuing. But I don't know though. Like 
this is this is where we're getting to like nitty gritty philosophy and arg- arguments. Like, but there is perfection. Like, like we have we see it around us, and it, though it is flawed, it transcends its flaws and becomes perfection. So it's the idea of there's perfection in imperfection. It's more like there it's is imperfectly I, perfect. It's it's. Uh, this is, I mean, this is what I would call grace, right? Like mm-hmm. there's something that makes that though it, it is imperfect, it transcends this reality almost and becomes perfect. Like art is a great example of this. Like there, like real art is perfect. Like though it's flawed, there's something about it that just like all of a sudden you're attached and you cling to it and and you're like, whoa, this is moving me. And I can't imagine this being another way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, or, or just like a nature, nature itself is like a really great example of this. Like, like trees, sky, like, like though it's not perfect, like a tree is clearly not made by man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like very asymmetrical, but like you look at it and it just looks right, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know, like, this, there's no way to know any of this, and I right. like that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. But if we're trying to figure out what's it about, I think this was a perfect murder. I mean, it would. This seem was so. a perfect murder. This is a perfect murder with a perfect alibi, and it had nothing to do with any of the murders. Like, like they they planned the murder, mm-hmm. but they did not plan the alibi. I was to say, well, I, I would say it's almost not a perfect murder because they did make a lot of mistakes and they were caught. Just somebody gave them grace. But it was the mistakes that led to the the grace, right? Like mm-hmm. it was the mistakes that it was the mistakes that gave them their alibi. Like if they didn't get caught, somebody else might have uncovered. Or, or it would have been like what uh, the uh, uh, Perot's friend was saying. He's like, look, like. If you don't solve this, they're just going to blame it on somebody. It's probably going to be one of yeah. the minorities because yeah. that's just the tiny period yeah. that they lived in. So he's yeah. like, if you, it's like, so Hercule is like, if I don't give an out, like give them all an out, they'll just blame somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's very interesting in that way. Yeah. I don't know, man. I like, I understand what you're saying. I just, I, I can't help but feel like like i said I, I, the way i experience stories is so much through the characters perspectives yeah and that's i sometimes i struggle to enjoy films that don't have a very clear point of view in that way um like something like dunkirk um i had yeah. a lot of trouble watching dunkirk because it wasn't very much focused on these characters experience i think it was very much about oh every the, you know the, the wider perspective of things mm-hmm. so i struggled to really connect to that movie we cut for that reason um, and it's a point of contention with me and my roommate a lot. He makes fun of the fact that I don't <laughs> like Dunkirk frequently. You would like Dunkirk, Justin. Um, like I don't like it uh, for the for the for the reason I said. Like the characters are not very centralized in that way, and it makes it hard for me to connect. For me, I connected very much with Perot in this idea of seeking to to fix things, you know, to make things right, or to to feel like there's some sort of. Well, he's- I mean, his name is Hercules. His name is Hercules. He's a hero. I do, I do not fight the lions. Well, okay. we're, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna like get into a new caveat of conversation 
about this if we if we dive into it. He's Hercules. Like, well, I mean, okay, if he is Hercules, what is the story of Hercules? Well, okay, so if you want to go to the original Greek and not the Disney one, um, yeah. you know, Hercules is a is a, uh, a demigod. He was you know half half god. Yep. Uh, he was living as a human. Uh, yep. You know, he had a wife. He had a family. Um, and then the gods are like, "Screw you, Hercules, for being so cool and awesome!" And they killed his wife and kids. <laughs> so, what I think, I think, I think the choice of Hercule, Hercule or Hercules is very like poignant here because he is gifted. It mm-hmm. is almost like he is He's a demigod. Human. He is yeah. demigod. He is more than human. So he is living in both worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, he's living in the supernatural world, and or not the supernatural. If you want to say that, you can. I guess. But I like, guess it would be like the uh, uh, gosh, what's the word? Celestial. Almost. Yeah, he's he's almost he's living in the celestial world, and he should he sees how things should be right, mm-hmm. and then at the same time he has one foot in the real world, and mm-hmm. so it's like it's a gift and a curse. Mm-hmm. So and 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 Her- Hercules, you know, like. He's a hero. He's he is assigned to mm. slay monsters, yeah. you know. And so I, I think I think that's really a great parallel for this guy. Um, he's doomed. He's doomed to fight on behalf of the higher, the doomed higher or, calling. Doomed or gifted or blessed or well, you know, the thing about Hercules is if you like read like his original Greek story, he it's very depressing. Like her, yeah. he yeah. is not a happy person at the end of his trials. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so, he gets screwed over pretty bad. We, I guess, uh, what, what I mean by like a different, uh, a different caveat, a different mm-hmm. area of conversation here is like, okay, so like we have you have people that are superhuman or g- have genius, mm-hmm. you know, and are they happy? No, Usually not. No, they're not, you know, but we all strive and want to be that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's another area of like, of talking about this idealism. Like if you, if you really want, if you really want to be celestial, you're going to pay the price. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like I suffer from severe depression, mm-hmm. you know, like I, like I woke up this morning, not, I didn't want to get out of bed, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm, Maybe I am smart in some ways, uh, but like I'm smart enough to know that I might be stupid, you know? So like maybe I'm just broken, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, so it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's like the things that, the things that make you who you are, like that duality, right? We're mm-hmm. back to that duality. So like, I, I guess the point I'm getting at is like, if you, this, it's like, you know what a megalomaniac is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you think that you're superhuman, you're going to have superhuman failures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like everything, just everything hyperbolizes. Mm-hmm. So like the, the higher you put yourself, the faller you're going to, the, the, the more you're going to fall. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, uh, so to get back to Hercule, like at the end of the movie, he's put himself high up. Mm. And so he, and now he's being humbled, Mm. you know, like now he, he no longer can hold himself 
mm-hmm. to the high standards because technically he's committing the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's permanently imbalanced. Yeah. As far but, as his perspective be, goes. But, but it's because he's demanded so much perfection. Right. You know? Right. And so, and so like, maybe that's his, that's what I'm saying is maybe if there is a higher power in this world, maybe that's the lesson he has to learn. And to just kind of sum that all up, uh, to kind of bring it full circle here, uh, when he's talking to Johnny Depp's character as they're sharing a piece of cake here uh, in the early part of the movie, uh, and Johnny Depp's trying to hire Hercule to like, you know, protect him and keep an eye out for him, basically. And Hercule says, "I detect criminals. I do not protect criminals." Yeah. But at, but at the end of the film, he's both detected the criminals. And protecting, protecting twelve protecting of them, and himself. Yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting. Um, is. And just one more thing, I just wanted to bring up, as it feels like we're we're kind of coming to, if not okay. a, a a mutual a mutual understanding of each other's perspectives, if not yeah. like an agreement. Um, yeah. But that's that's like that's what's great about films is you don't have to agree exact on exactly what you think something's about, like because we you can have a conversation about why you feel the way you do. Uh, yeah. and, and what connected with you and nobody's yeah. and right or wrong. And that's how you learn. And that's how you learn. Um, there was something in the film that struck me a lot and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit when you were talking about how everything is per- pristine, the everything's clean and, and precise and meticulous on, especially on the train. There's a lot of food in this film. Like huh? this idea of of there's the eggs, there's the breads, there's the cake, there's the wine, there's all this food. Okay. What do you think the film is is getting at with with all this idea of, of food? Because Hercule throughout the film really, really seeks perfection in food. The bread is – this bread is perfect. You create art. He tells the the baker, the eggs need to. Why don't hens lay per, perfectly symmetrical eggs? Like I blame the hen for for not being perfect. Uh, the cake, you know, he only takes like a little bite of the cake. The cake was was perfect. Well, I mean, I I don't know exactly, but I can tell you as someone who uh, has spent a lot of time in the food and beverage industry, mm-hmm. like it's it's kind of that concept I was talking about earlier, like it's that art concept. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when it's right, like mm-hmm. you, there is, and, and, and that's the thing with, with food is like sometimes, so there's a craft, there's a craft to, um, cooking, mm-hmm. but there's also an art to cooking mm-hmm. and they come from different sides of the brain and, and, and different, uh, different expressions. So like mm-hmm. you can know how to make a cake, right? Mm-hmm. You can follow, you can follow exactly how to make a cake and you're going to make a cake. But what makes that cake perfect is something that's more subtle. And like, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, in some, you know, you, you might add, I, I don't know. this is just a stupid example, but like maybe you, you add a little extra sugar cause you feel like it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like you go outside the bounds of the structure as an artist mm-hmm. and that's what makes the cake actually perfect. So like there's the rule of the cake mm-hmm. and then there's the expression of the cake through the artist, which, mm-hmm. which is 
more perfect. Which I, is good. I, I actually see. I agree with you a lot on this because Hercule only finds perfection in food, like throughout the film. Yeah. Like that's the only time we see him and his Dickens, which we can get, which we can leave. I think because that that's a whole other category of like why he enjoys I, Charles Dickens so much. I don't. I don't. I think he thinks it's. I think he thinks. It's hilarious. He laughs at it. He laughs at it. And it's because he's making it because Dickens is trying to make the point that things can't think like his satire is there's, there is uh, your like great expectations is you're going to be disappointed. Right. So maybe he's laughing because he's mocking Dickens. Mm-hmm. He's like, he thinks oh. it's, it's funny. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, this man. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah. I agree with you. So we only really see Hercule have enjoyment, enjoy in food. You know, when he gets those perfect eggs, he goes, oh, and he like, it's just so happy. And when he's looking at those breads, he's, he's in awe and he's just excited that of something, but you can look at those breads and see that they're not equal. They're not the same. They're not like made to perfection. They're made perfect by kind of what you're saying, like this, this art of it, they become perfect, even though they're not precise. Yeah. And same with the cake. Like he eats, he just wants like the curly bit on the top, right? He just like wants a little bit. Yeah. There's very specific things that make it perfect. But he, he enjoys food. Food for some reason is something that he finds perfection in, which I think is really interesting. You, you know, so this is kind of interesting, I think, in regards to that is he doesn't get his perfect eggs until he's exactly where he's supposed to be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like like he's the whole beginning of the film. He's like trying to get those perfect eggs and he's not going to get them because he's not where he's supposed to be. He's late. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's interesting that when he wakes up on the train about to have to solve this murder, that the eggs are perfect. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. All right. We're going to be moving now into the new segment of the show, which I'm starting to call the reflection. Oh, I thought we did that. Well, I'm, well, I guess what I'm saying is uh, uh, I'm going to present a question um, that kind of relates to the theme that I, I kind of was interpreting a little bit. Um, and I'm going to see you know, how it kind of has related to your life potentially. And you, if you have a question that you want okay. to pose, okay. um, we can kind of, again, touch Perfect. on our own lives a little bit more, at, you know, a little bit more um, and less so on the film. Gotcha. Um, so my question is – where in your life do you find yourself seeking balance, but are met with disappointment? Um, seeking balance and, and next. if you'd like, I can I can go first as I since I came up with the question, I kind of reflected on it myself. Okay. Um, uh, my 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 first uh, I think I think like a a really my go-to or, or my answer that is like in the forefront of my mind is like uh, the nature of my career and art. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the way I guess I, I approach people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm a very, like I, I've been, I am a waiter. I'm mm-hmm. a servant, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I take a mentality of servitude to most everything I do. And I wish that I could sometimes not do that and serve myself. Um, 
because I end up serving others to my own detriment sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, this is kind of weird. I even feel like a genie sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like my life is, uh, to grant wishes, to grant wishes. So to, 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 to be a, someone who can give you what you want, but I can never pursue what I want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I, I, and I like at work, especially like, it's just like, mm-hmm. I'm just here to make your every dream come true. <laughs> you know? uh, it's so interesting. Cause my, when I reflected on this, the thing that I gravitated to most was also less my artistic career. Um, but more my my day job, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, I work with children at a like the you know, young young children under the age of five. Uh, I teach cl- like kind of like parent and child classes, and I love the kids. I love the families, um, but the place where I work is kind of understaffed, you know, and it doesn't pay super duper well. But you know, it's a, a, okay. Um, so what happens a lot of times is people like a teacher will get sick or something like that, and they'll text or call me to to come in and cover for that person and i have had a history in the past of having a lot of struggles with saying no to that like no i need to take care of myself today like this is my first day off in however long i have stuff that i need to do career you know artistically or or even just like every day like laundry and all that stuff i've have struggled to say no i can't come in if if i don't have anything very specific that would keep me from doing so and a lot of it comes from this this sense of you know wanting to serve the families that i care about a lot because i do very much care about these families uh, and these children we're we're both i think it's a similar it's a, we're, this is i think one of the things that me and you are have very much in common mhm you know it's like and that's why our friendship works so well is because mm-hmm. we both want to give to the other one Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's a good match in that way. Yeah, but but not everybody's like that. <laughs> no, and, and people always tell me like, "Why don't you just say no?" And I'm like, "I." It's really hard for yeah. me because because I feel so guilty by yeah. by not coming in, and the, like those families and those children then don't get to have class that day. You know, yeah. like just because I just don't want, just because I just don't want to come in that day. Like it feels, I feel imbalanced by that. You know, it makes me feel like a piece of crap when I yeah. do that. And yeah. and I know I've been like criticized by people like, no, no, no. Like you need to take time for yourself. But it doesn't – but I can't enjoy that time for myself if I feel this guilt that these kids aren't, you know. And, you know, they'll be fine. Here's the thing. In my intellectually, I know they'll be fine. Like yeah. they'll miss – it'll be okay. But like in my heart, it's just I feel – so guilty and I can't enjoy my time off. I can't work on anything artistic because I just am feeling like I'm letting people down in a way. Yeah. And so like I have to go in and cover. Well, you know, I rarely say no, very rarely say no. And even though I am not feeling the guilt of not going, I feel frustrated that I, that I went. Right. Yeah. So I'm, no matter what I'm doing, I'm trying to find balance. I'm trying to seek balance by getting rid of this guilt. All I'm finding is more frustration because I can't. I didn't have time to 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 work on my screenplay. I didn't, you know, because I'm now I'm tired because I just was up and singing and running around with children for six hours. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
And so like for me, it's like, like you said, it's that idea of like service. Like I, I feel like I, ha- I have to. And if I don't do it, I feel worse. Yeah. Like it's I'm going to feel bad either way. So like it's a lose-lose really. Well, my therapist would say that you have to do it and then you have to get used to being uncomfortable while you're doing it. Yeah. Then See? it will be, get easier. Yeah. But it's so hard to that's hard to do. That's yeah. like, that's horrible. I hate that. Yeah. But you're, I, it's true, but it's, it sucks. I, I mean, this, I said this the other day, uh, I don't do things unless I have to, or I want to. <laughs> and, and then I, I, so I don't do most things, you know, <laughs> like I don't do most things. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think that's the thing is you got to figure out how to, mm-hmm. you got to figure out how to do things, even though you don't have to, and you don't want to. If I were to ask you a question, it would probably be uh, related to idealism. And hey, go for it, man. uh, Do you do you think that you have? Because you're an artist, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's—I don't know if it's possible to not be an artist and do this. But do you relate to Hercule uh, in his idealism? Do you? do you think that you have created an ideal of yourself that you're trying to? Wow. That's a really deep question. Yeah. Um, I, I think the reason why I, like we were talking about earlier and kind of even sent us into our argument uh, was that I very much connected and related to Hercule, like to the point where I, I struggled to see the movie from anybody else's perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I think I've had a lot of disappointment in my life because I see I try and see the ideal, right? I try and see expect people to be good, right? And then have had them hurt me in the past. Like uh, I can give a very specific example, and this it makes me sound really dumb, <laughs> but you know I'm going to share it anyway. So I was living in Chicago, you know, you know I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a buddy of mine, uh, me and my roommate, he moved in with his girlfriend and I had to go find a new place by myself. It, but it was very sudden, this idea. Like he's just like, oh, by the way, I'm, we're not, I'm not renewing our lease with you. I'm moving out. It was very – and I only had a little bit of time to find a new apartment. Um, yeah. So I went looking and you know, it's not easy to find an apartment that you can afford by yourself. Right. Uh, especially because I was also still working at the company I'm at now, which – and I was getting paid even less at that time. Uh, so like it just affordable wise, like I was like the places I can afford are very slim. So I went looking for places and I found this, this place on, you know, one of the various like, you know, sites that you find like apartments on. Uh, and I got into contact with the person that was advertising it and they're like, okay, like, you know, go through this whole process basically. Uh, give me first month's rent. I'll leave the keys for you. Okay, Cool. So wired them first month's rent, $600, not too much, but like yeah, go to get the keys, never get them. Yep. And try to contact the person after that, ghosted. Yeah. So like I got, I got scammed because I not even – didn't even enter my brain that this person was scamming me. Right. So like it, it was a really hard lesson for me to learn. Like I felt – like I said, I felt really stupid. I felt naive. My family teased me about it. Like, like they're like, you know, my family's pretty, uh, pretty uh, relentless sometimes when it comes to like teasing and stuff like that. And I've gotten over it since. But at that time, I felt so dumb. 
And like, how how dumb can I be about that kind of thing? You know, I just expected this person to be on the up and up. So, yeah, I think I do try to see what I think the way the world should be. And I mean, I think you asked this question very pointedly in a lot of ways. <laughs> Because I do struggle with my own perception of who I who I think I should be, yeah. And to the point where, like you were saying, I kind of self sabotage or put prioritize myself lower than a lot of other people to fit into a box of the person that I think I I'm supposed to be. This like nice, agreeable, helpful guy, right? And mm-hmm. And I, I think I am that guy most of the time naturally, but sometimes when I don't want to be that person, I will force myself to be that person because I think that's the person I am. Well, and that's what's interesting. There's a duality in that, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not actually living up to your own idealism if you're lying to yourself. Right. So no matter what, whether I'm actually feeling helpful, whether I'm actually feeling I want to be kind and nice and polite to these people – it is the moment I feel like I don't want to be, I'm immediately not living up to the person I think I am. Yes. Right. So that feels like that's out of your control, my man. I know. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, what about you? No, I would agree. I would agree. I, Ricky, I think we're, uh, we're very similar people in a lot of ways. Just, mm. um, uh, I definitely have, uh, had to been in the, been in the, fight against idealism most of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just now, it's taken the pandemic, it's taken a lot of failure uh, to like, I mean, my depression, that's where my depression comes from, is mm-hmm. like me not being the thing I think me should be, mm-hmm. you know, or life not being how I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm just now getting to a place where I'm like starting to look at my life and go, I don't really have a say like I have somewhat of a, but that's, that's the fight, right? It's mm. like you have a little bit of a say, but you don't have all the say. So uh, it's like a constant battle of mm. accepting what is and, and pursuing what you want, I guess. I exactly. So thanks so much for talking with me. Hey, I just yeah. want to say, man, Super glad you got out of bed for me today. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's a good reason to. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, just to sum it up, to, uh, final thoughts on Murder on the Orient Express 2017. Uh, if you've never seen it, watch it. Um, you'll enjoy the ending um, and then listen to our podcast and we'll make it relevant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we had a we had a little talk about this uh, a couple of days ago where we Seth had mentioned he's like I don't think this this story like works for a modern audience and we kind of touched on this murder mystery format is a little bit yeah. played out because we've seen it so much throughout the years now. I mean, it was very original back in the day, but it's kind of people are savvy to it now. Um, but I I agree. I think what makes this worth watching is the thematic, not necessarily yeah. the the as we're kind of talking about, it's not the plot that makes this film worth watching. It's the philosophical question that lies underneath it, which makes yes. it, which makes it worth watching. Yeah. Uh, and I was surprised at how much like I was like, I felt it this time around where last time I enjoyed the the story this time I enjoyed what kind of what was going on underneath it all. Yeah. Uh, so 
I'm really glad we revisited this film, even though yeah. I, it was kind of like a, oh, what are we really going to get out of this? I was like, I was very surprised. Me too, man. What awesome. are we doing next? It's up to you, man. Uh, I, the, the, the film that's been floated to me that I think I want to check out is Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard. The classic, the original Hollywood Boulevard. Okay. So for those of you guys watching along at home, our next film for the What's It About Film podcast is Hollywood Boulevard. Cannot wait to be talking about it with you. Remember, we are here every Friday morning, so please check us out on Apple Play. You can check us out on – sorry, Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, uh, and you guys uh, will be able to listen to What's It About. We'll see you next time. Adios. Bye.